Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Today we begin a new sermon series based on selections from one of the largest books of the Bible, the Book of Psalms, a collection of the sacred poetry and songs of our spiritual ancestors. Right smack in the middle of our Bibles, the Psalms have resonated with countless generations of God's people as these prayers and songs capture all the highs and the lows that come from walking by faith with the Lord. Written by various authors, including biblical figures like David, Solomon, and Moses, the Psalms vividly reflect the full gamut of human emotion and experience. They express our gratitude and joy with God, as well as give voice to our questions, our anger sometimes, and our doubts, even as they also offer us comfort, assurance, and hope in the midst of our sorrows. It's for this reason that we'll be exploring selections from the book of Psalms over the next few weeks. Again, these ancient songs and prayers, we're going to pick out ones that relate to various themes in our lives. Themes like joy and loss, anger, justice, peace, dealing with our enemies, and even being citizens of the world. Today, we're going to focus on the first two opening songs in this collection, Psalms 1 and 2. If you open your Bibles, you'll notice that Psalm 1 begins with a beatitude. It starts with, blessed is the one. And then if you turn to Psalm 2 at the end, Psalm 2 closes with a beatitude, blessed are all. The position of these beatitudes functions like bookends, indicating that what's shared between these two Psalms forms a kind of frame or lens through which we should perceive and understand the rest of the collection, the rest of the book. Everything else written in the book of Psalms is built on the foundation laid with these first two songs. So with this understanding in mind, let's prepare ourselves and listen carefully to Psalm 1 in its entirety. But remember, keep those Bibles open because even though we won't hear it read aloud, we're also going to be looking at Psalm 2 today. Here's the word of the Lord. The lesson for today is recorded in the book of Psalms, chapter 1. Psalm 1, typically ascribed to David, stresses the importance of ordering one's life according to God's word. We read, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've never met a single person who wants to live a bad life. How about you? Ever met anybody who wants to live a bad life? Everyone. Everyone wants to live a good life. Everyone wants to live the good life. The question is, what is the good life? And depending upon who we ask, there can be different answers to this question. Lots of different answers. Psalms 1 and 2 
are the Bible's answer to the question of what the good life is. And as we heard, in speaking of the good life, the writer uses the term blessed. And right off the bat, we learn something. We learn something because to speak of the good life as the blessed life is to imply true goodness in life is not something we can earn or achieve on our own, but is instead a divine gift from above. The good life is something bestowed upon us. In other words, biblically, the good life is the manifestation and the reflection of God's grace in and through our lives. And to underscore this point, the writer of the psalm goes on to unpack the nuance of blessedness, the good life, by declaring what it is not. And based on the threefold description of what follows, wickedness, sin, mockery, the good life eludes us when we live in opposition to God. To live in opposition to God is to go against the grain of grace. It is to reject the Lord's intentions and purposes for our life together, and instead to attempt to fashion our own lives our own way and call it good. Instead of living out of the blessings God gives, it's seeking to bless oneself. And at first this may not sound all that bad. I mean, shouldn't we bless ourselves? But here's the thing. When we attempt to bless ourselves, this is just another way of trying to play God. And whenever I attempt to play God, if blessing belongs to God alone, whenever I attempt to play God, someone else has to serve me. Our attempts to bless ourselves apart from the Lord often become a curse upon the life of others, right? Whenever we try to define and construct our version of the good life, other people pay the price. I mean, one of the hard realities we're still struggling to come to grips with as a nation is that we cannot deny the blessings of this country in which we pride ourselves and often boast about. The blessings of this country have been less about living out of God's grace and more about being built on the backs of others. Living in opposition to God is not presented here as a matter of ignorance, of not knowing any better. According to the psalmist, living this way is a purposeful choice. It's a conscious violation of the way of the Lord. It's knowing exactly what we're doing as we ignore or reject God's instructions and directions for living. It's in fact, if you read the psalm carefully, a progression of movement away from God that begins, as the psalmist writes, by walking in step, moving away from, heading in the opposite direction of the Lord. But notice, gradually, mere steps away from God become a firmer posture of stopping of standing in the way of what the Lord is doing, until eventually one finds themselves, as the psalmist writes, sitting in the company of mockers, parking themselves in a regular position of defiance toward God. And Psalm 2 picks up by questioning the wisdom of living out of this sort of posture. Psalm 2 asks why, it starts, why? What is the point, the writer of Psalm 2 asks, what's the point of conspiring against the plans and purposes of God? To live like this is vanity, the psalmist declares. It's a futile effort, it's all for naught. Living in defiance of the Lord ultimately accomplishes nothing. As Psalm 2 celebrates, it heralds the unquestionable supremacy of God over all the rebellious efforts of humanity. And Psalm 1, again, complimenting Psalm 2, offers us a sobering picture of where all such conspiring, all of humanity's willful attempts to orchestrate its own version of the good life, where all of that inevitably leads. And what does Psalm 1 show us? That apart from the grace of God, living on our own terms, we end up like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is the leftover part of the grain, the stalk, 
the skin of the kernel that remains when the wheat is harvested. In biblical times, to separate the wheat from the chaff, one would take your basket or your towel or a blanket full of grain and stalks and then toss them up into the sky. Toss them up into the sky because the grain being the heaviest would fall to the ground. The grain would fall to the ground. The heaviest straw would be blown by the wind and fall to the outside of the floor. The chaff, meanwhile, those very small pieces of straw were so light that they would blow away. They would blow away completely with the wind. And this image is a powerful one because it's telling us that apart from the Lord, we, all our plans, all that we build, all that we prize, are so fragile, so unstable, that like the chaff, even a light breeze, let alone a gust of a strong wind, even a light breeze blows us away. It shakes us to our very core and threatens to fade us into nothingness. Trying to live the good life apart from God's grace, the psalmist says, isn't good at all because, as the psalmist declares, that way leads to destruction. Now that's a harsh word. It's a harsh word that may be challenging for us to hear and accept, but there is no getting around the truth that apart from God, we experience the frustration, the disintegration of all of our hopes and plans as we confront what is unavoidable, death in all its forms, including the literal end of our physical lives, the cessation of our existence. You know, by now we're probably thinking, uh, okay, I get it. We, uh, we, uh, I understand the good life isn't whatever we try to make of our lives, but are we ever going to say what the good life is <laughs> biblically? Well, against the backdrop of all that humanity seeks to achieve on its own and declares to call good, Psalm 2 does provide us an answer. Psalm 2 heralds that the revelation and the invitation to the good life is in the coming of the Lord's anointed, the Messiah the one in whom God has invested his power and authority over all creation in order to change the world, including us, for the better. Now, reading the Psalms on the other side of the New Testament in light of the gospel, we know not just the name, but the person who is this Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so as Psalm 2 closes with this encouragement and warning at the same time to settle down and embrace and kiss the Son of God and take refuge in Him, we discover the true good life can only be found by yielding to and following Jesus, His life, His teachings, His death and resurrection, as Christ, through all of that, reshapes and transforms our life and all creation. Going back to Psalm 1, we can further tease out what this looks like as the psalmist talks about how blessedness, the good life, comes from delighting and meditating on the law or instruction of the Lord. Now here in Psalm 1, this idea of the law is a reference specifically to what is known as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that contain in those first five books the revelation of the character and purpose of the Lord for all people and the specific instructions for living that God gives to the people of Israel for all the world. Every other book in the Old Testament draws its wisdom, its direction, and guidance from the Torah, from these first five books, from the Word of God that creates and sustains life. Now, unfortunately, from the very first moment this Word of God was given to us, our human tendency has been to receive this Word statically merely as a bunch of rules and requirements that we have to follow in order to keep out of trouble. 
And because of this, our incessant fixation on arguing over the details and splitting hairs, trying to find the exceptions rather than internalizing the rule or overall code of life that the Lord gives to us, for this reason, the Torah, the Word of God, became flesh. In the coming of the Messiah, in Jesus Christ, we are given a living, breathing, perfect example of the fulfillment of the law, of what our humanity was intended to be, of what we can become if we abide completely in the Lord. Through the example and teaching of Jesus, we discover living the good life is less of a checklist and more of a posture and orientation. Jesus explicitly tells us living the, the life that our Father intended for us is not about religiously sticking to the letter of the law as much as it is about embodying the spirit of the law. The good life is, in other words, reflecting to each other the character of the God in whose image we have been made. The good life is acting justly as a reflection of the God who is just. The good life is loving mercy as a reflection of the God who is merciful. The good life is living rightly as a reflection of the God who does right by us. The good life is walking humbly and serving others as a reflection of the God who humbled himself to serve us. The good life then is not about following a rule book or even a religion. The good life is living out of a deepening and maturing relationship with the one who incarnated all that is good, with Jesus Christ, who perfectly embodied all the blessings of living out of God's grace. Psalm 1 offers us two specific practical orientations for doing this, for living out of the grace of God that we're given. And while these two verbs speak of how we are to engage the word of the Lord, again, since Jesus is the word of God made flesh, let us also hear these two verbs in terms of how we are to engage our relationship with Christ. First, the psalmist says in Psalm 1, living the good life is to delight in the word of the Lord. Delight means to find and take joy. Delight is to savor and to relish. You know, we talk about reading God's word. We talk about listening and paying attention to the life and teaching of Jesus. Yes, but do we delight? Do we savor and relish God's word? Do we find and take joy in our relationship with Jesus? Do we receive the Lord's instruction and guidance out of obligation or out of desire? There's a difference. Do we have to be reminded constantly that Jesus is with us, leading us every step of the way? Or are we committed to looking for Christ, orienting ourselves, our thoughts, our words, and our actions, taking our cues from Jesus' leadership and example? When I was younger, I heard my parents a lot, but I often didn't listen to them, especially when I was a teenager. I heard them, but I didn't listen to them because I was often too busy, too distracted, and if I'm honest, too full of myself to listen. And now that I'm older, I look forward to my conversations with them. I enjoy listening to them talk and share, not just with me, but with others. I even glean from those conversations too. And that's the point, do we delight in the realization that our Heavenly Father talks to us, knows and understands us, and wants to be known by us, and seeks to lead us into the joy, contentment, and security of life? Or are we too busy? Let's be honest. Are we too busy trying to fulfill our own agendas? Are we too distracted by the worries and concerns of this world? Are we too full of ourselves to listen 
to relish the God in Christ who is both with us and for us. Living the good life is to delight in the word of the Lord, but living the good life, the psalmist also says, is to meditate on God's instruction. And meditate is a distinctive word. It means to reflect, to mull over, to work over in one's mind, to chew on until digested, to internalize until it's a part of you. And again, we often admonish admonish each other to study, to memorize, and to know God's word. And that's great. Many of us can quote to each other, to others, both chapter and verse of what Jesus said. We can quote chapter and verse what Jesus said. But do we get into the word of God? Do we yield and let the word of God get inside of us? Do we abide and allow the teachings and examples of Jesus not just to tickle our ears or warm our hearts, but begin to transform how we see the world, how we interact with each other. We say we believe in Christ, but are we following Christ? Are we letting the word of Christ not just be a part of how we think and feel, not just a part of how we think and feel, but letting the word of Christ actually change how we think and what we feel? Beloved, our Father wants us to be wise. Jesus comes to give us, to show us, to teach us wisdom, but wisdom and knowledge aren't the same thing. I can know the Bible, I can know the Word of God without living by the Word of God. We can know Jesus without actually following Christ. Even the demons know who Jesus is, but that doesn't mean they follow him. I can know Jesus without surrendering my thoughts, my words, and the actions I take from Jesus' direction. Whereas knowledge is about having information, wisdom is about discerning, judging, and applying knowledge to life. Wisdom is about being able to separate truth from fiction, right from wrong. Wisdom is about separating that which is temporary from that which is lasting. And my friends, the Bible isn't a textbook. Jesus isn't Google. Looking for information is one thing, but seeking wisdom is something else entirely. And wisdom comes from meditating. Living the good life is not just knowing about the Bible or even knowing who Jesus is. Living the good life is about meditating and living out of the grace, applying the wisdom that God offers us through his word, through following Jesus. And let's be clear, living the good life isn't a life in which nothing bad ever happens. But life can still be good even when things around us are bad if we understand that living the good life is living out of the blessing of the God who again is with us and for us, even and especially in the midst of circumstances beyond our control. Biblically, living the good life isn't living the easy life. Living the good life is a life of continued growth and being stretched. And that means living the good life then isn't always the comfortable life either. Living the good life is being repeatedly called to die to ourselves, to die to ourselves as we are in order to be resurrected into who we were created to become. And let's be honest, change is hard. Transformation takes time. And change and transformation are especially difficult when we aren't in control of either one of those things, but instead are called to submit, to yield, to delight and meditate as our lives and our character, how we think, feel, speak, and act are continually being transformed by Christ. But make no mistake, living the good life is living a changed life, a life that continues to learn and grow and to become like Jesus. This is what it means to be blessed, and it runs counter. This definition of blessing runs counter to how we often speak and define the blessing of God. Our tendency is to equate blessedness with material gain. We say things like, I'm blessed because my job is going so well, or finished moving into our new home feeling blessed, 
or just returned from serving others who are poor and in need and realizing how blessed we all are. Now on the surface, all three of these statements don't seem all that problematic. I mean, isn't it right? Shouldn't we thank God and give him the glory for everything we have? Yes, of course. The problem is, when our understanding of what it means to be blessed by God, living the good life, is defined by the result of getting whatever we want. When it's just about getting whatever we want, that's what it means to be blessed, this frames the Lord of all creation as little more than a divine wish-granting fairy who now and then showers gifts upon some of us, but not all of us. Think of it this way, to call ourselves blessed by God because of our material good fortune is an affront to others who are not likewise so-called blessed. If we claim God has blessed us when we get whatever we want, then how are we to respond to the person who didn't get the job? To the person who doesn't have a home? To the person who remains stuck in poverty? What are we to say to them, that they're cursed rather than blessed? If the extent of blessedness is getting whatever we want from God, then why hasn't God blessed them? No, rightly understood, being blessed, living the good life, is not a cosmic lottery where every sincere prayer, where every good deed earns us another scratch-off ticket and where the revealed prize just happens to be exactly what we wanted. We don't worship the God of positive reinforcement. We don't worship the God of positive reinforcement doling out blessings like Hershey's kisses whenever we follow his directions. Don't want to misunderstand me. While it's the Lord's invitation and desire for us to seek and abide in his will and guidance, it's for our own good, not for his. So my friends, experiencing God's blessing is not about pleasing the Lord in order to receive a little something extra, the granting of some added divine favor. No, experiencing God's blessing is about abiding in the favor that the Lord from the very beginning of creation all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ, it's abiding in the favor that our Heavenly Father always has been pleased and continues to extend to us, not because we earn or deserve it, but because he loves us as his children. Experiencing God's blessing, living well, is all about this amazing Hebrew word, shalom. It's about embracing the harmony and joy, the peace and contentment that can come from life, not as we attempt to orchestrate it ourselves, but that can come from life as God intended for it to be as the Lord graciously seeks to impart it to us. Life is good. We are blessed as we are through our Heavenly Father's inspiration and direction growing, advancing, and prospering in all areas of life such that our relationship with God, with ourselves, and with each other are aligned and centered in the truth and practice of divine grace and unconditional love. Again, to quote Jesus, living the good life is loving God with everything he's provided us and likewise loving our neighbor as we also love ourselves. Now, for those of us who are visual learners, the writer of this psalm in Psalm 1 offers us a vivid picture of what living the good life looks like. Being blessed, living the good life, is being like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Now, who would have imagined that God, in calling and inviting us to experience the good life, would have told us to make like a tree? But then again, 
If we think about it, as witnesses to history, trees are signs of stability and endurance in the midst of a volatile and changing world. Well-rooted trees stand the test of time. Just go visit the sequoias. And as the psalmist also notes, trees, when healthy, when they're connected to the right source, trees are vibrant and fruitful. Trees are fruitful in that many produce actual fruit we can eat. But trees are also fruitful to us in that they provide us oxygen. Did you know that one mature leafy tree will provide enough oxygen in one season for 10 people to inhale in a single year? It's amazing. As trees prosper, we prosper. For trees not only provide us oxygen and food, they also clean our air. They offer a home for wildlife and they give us a means to build things. And something noteworthy about this image of a tree is the stability, the vibrancy, the fruitfulness of a tree is like us, dependent upon the grace of God, dependent upon the gifts of rich soil, regular sunlight, and of course, a constant source of water. The tree can't self-actualize. The tree can't make this happen. God does. In fact, the psalmist specifically connects the prosperity of the tree to the streams of water by which it is planted. The point is, living the good life like a tree is all about being rooted, being rooted in our relationship with God. And again, being rooted is to delight in the word of God, the person of Christ. That's one of the reasons why we gather each week to listen, to sing, to rejoice together as the church in the grace of our Lord, the good news of the gospel. But being rooted again also is to meditate on God's word, the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection, the call of Christ on our lives. It's for us to mull over together, to converse, to talk about it, to share the gospel with others, to reflect Christ in our homes, how we break bread, how we engage in community together. Biblically, the blessed life is like the picture of a healthy and thriving tree. It's stable and fruitful and brings life to others. So being rooted is to live out of the blessing. The blessing not of our job or our home or our health or the blessing of our standard of living. It's living out of the blessing of knowing and being known by the God who gives hope to the hopeless. The God who loves the unlovable. The God who comforts the sorrowful. This same God who in Christ has offered us through his spirit this same power to encourage and comfort the hurting, to unconditionally love those who perceive themselves beyond loving, to offer living hope to any who have given up on themselves or given up on this broken but still beautiful, still redeemable world in which we live together. And so you see, the good life is not a single life cycle of planting, watering, budding, and harvesting for ourselves. Whatever we make out of life, the good life is a regular rhythm of soil enrichment, branch pruning, root deepening and strengthening, and seasons, not just one, but seasons of fruit bearing. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all for the sake of others, all for the betterment of this world. And so we come back to where we started. What is the good life? How would you answer that question? Don't respond too quickly. Think carefully about your answer because how you respond will have massive implications on the rest of your life. Because whatever you think the answer is to the good life is what you will live and strive for. So ask yourself, what motivates the things you do? Seriously, honestly, what captures your imagination? 
When you take the time, if you take the time, to silence all the busyness and distractions that swirl all around you, what are the things you find yourself thinking about? Have we fallen victim to the temptation of defining the good life in terms of, if I only had? What's the one thing in your life that you tell yourself would make you happy? What is it? Everyone wants to be happy. People define the good life in different ways, but everybody wants to live it. And my friends, we can spend our money, our time, and our energy chasing after our answer of what the good life is. We can spend the first half of our lives preoccupied, obsessed, driven, burdened by answering the question, what do we want to be when we grow up? And then we can spend, we can end up spending the last half of our lives hoping that we've done enough, trying to justify our relevance and significance, trying to secure and hold on to our legacy that we've built even as the world begins to pass us by. We can run ourselves into physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion all along the way only to finally see it all, all that we've worked for, all that we've built our lives on, becoming like us, nothing more than dust in the wind. But what if, what if the good life we're all striving for isn't the good life we were created for? What if being blessed isn't something we have to earn or achieve from God, but is a relationship we already have of grace, hope, and love with God in Christ that we're invited to live out of today? What if instead of always trying to prove ourselves, Instead of believing we need to secure our future, what if instead of being haunted by the stress and the pressure that we're missing something? What if we lived out of knowing who we are in Christ? What if we lived trusting that our best destiny has already been assured by Jesus? What if we lived being released from fear and failure by following Jesus and discovering the joy-filled open-handed adventure of who we can become together in God, the life that we all long for, the good life that in the deepest core of our being we innately sense is possible, the good life that reaches far beyond this life to the next. What if, beloved, let's stop asking what if. Let's stop asking what if and let's begin to live into the what now. The what now, the good life, the blessed life that is ours in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.